Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his grand circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. On today's podcast, I wanted to talk about the Hall of Presidents. Now, if you've followed me for a long time, you know that I'm intrigued by the history of the Hall of Presidents. I'm intrigued by the attraction itself, and I've done a number of podcasts about it. I've talked about its history, played the audio from each incarnation of the show, and talked about it pretty extensively. Now, when the park first opened in 1971, there was the Nixon audio animatronic that was there on the stage. Kind of intriguing since Walt and uh, Nixon were kind of friends. There was this intriguing little piece that that would be the time it opened. But anyway, for many years, there was a non-speaking part for the president. And then finally, at some point, uh, the Disney company decided that it would be fun to have a speaking part. And so they um, had Clinton have the first speaking part in the uh, audio animatronic version of himself there in the park. And that was kind of interesting. And they revolved the show and they changed it a little bit. And they had a speaking part for every president after that. So flash forward to about six years or so ago, the Disney company was batting around the idea of changing the Hall of Presidents and not having a speaking part for the sitting president, whoever won that election. Of course, they changed their minds along the way, and the reasons for it I've talked about on my podcast. There was a little bit of political maneuvering that happened there, and there was a speaking part that was added back in. So I was kind of curious. When this version of the Hall of Presidents opened, would it have a speaking part for the president or not? And I wasn't sure, because originally Disney wasn't going to do that, but then they changed their minds, so would it? And it does. And I thought that was kind of intriguing that they went back to their idea. Now, all Biden does is recite the oath of office. Most of the show is focused on everyone else, uh, former presidents, especially like Washington, Lincoln, and so forth, people who were presidents during times of great peril. So kind of interesting that they went back to it that way. But it's kind of, it's kind of a neat show. It, it's very similar. I think it's almost the same as the previous show, with the exception of the uh, oath of office being the, the thing that's recited. And uh, they move on from here. So I wanted to play for you the audio from the new version of the Hall of Presidents. So enjoy. This program is dedicated to the memory of Walt Disney. In 1971, his love for America inspired the creation of the Hall of Presidents, a place to celebrate the optimism and goodwill he saw at the heart of the American story. Walt's vision was to honor the nation by honoring the American presidency. It is 1783, and the smoke is clearing in the wake of the Revolutionary War. Over the course of eight grinding years, General George Washington has led a force of shopkeepers, farmers, and Native American allies to victory over the greatest military power in the world. A new nation has been born, independent and free. 
free. The founders must form a national government. In 1787, through months of passionate debate, they create a written constitution. For the country's highest office, they imagine something new in the history of the world. A leader not born to power like a king or queen. A leader who has not seized power through conquest. A leader not separate from the people, but elected by the people, from among the people. We, the people. This is a new idea, an American idea. The idea of a president. what a president will be, but there is little doubt who it will be. George Washington's stature and bearing have marked him as a leader. His integrity has made him a great one. Washington knows that many generals who have led successful revolutions make themselves dictators or kings. Instead, he steps down from power and retires to his home, Mount Vernon. The world takes note, and George Washington becomes the symbol of American ideals. In the first presidential election, it's Washington by a landslide. The only doubt seems to be his own. He writes, integrity and firmness is all I can promise. Integrity and firmness is exactly what we need. Everything he does as president will set a model for his successors. His final act may be the most important of all. After two terms, with no term limit in the Constitution and amid overwhelming support to stay in office, he steps down once again and hands power back to the people. He wants us to speak, to elect a new president. During the early years of the Republic, we choose leaders as different as Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, and Andrew Jackson. Elections are often bitter. Each president stands at that fiery intersection where personal character meets the challenges of the times. Some call the presidency a glorious burden. Jefferson calls it a splendid misery. We the people must choose well. We elect 15 presidents before the course of history brings us to the edge of a crisis like no other. A nation born of freedom still permits slavery. As the country pushes west, will new states be slave or free? The question produces bitter conflict. The issue rocks the election of 1860 and brings Abraham Lincoln onto the national stage. Tall, lanky, some say uncouth candidate from Illinois is a master of words at a time when speeches are printed in full for people to read. A house divided against itself cannot stand, he said. With Lincoln's election, the house does indeed divide. Civil War. Eleven states secede from the Union. The 
war becomes a defining passage in the American story. The president's own inner strength and depth of character changed the course of history. Lincoln had come up the hard way on the American frontier, desperately poor, with less than a year of formal schooling. His early years were scarred by tragedy, the death of his mother, his sister, his first love. He struggles with depression, but never loses his determination to rise above it. He once said he's driven by a desire to leave the world a little better place for having lived in it. The war rages. Lincoln fights to preserve the Union and end slavery. Neither is a sure thing. At Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, six months after one of the bloodiest battles of the war, the president dedicates a cemetery to the thousands of soldiers who died there in words we can never forget. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here, have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note, nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead, we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation, under God, shall have a new birth of freedom, and the government of the people by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. The blood of over half a million Americans is spilled in this civil war. President Lincoln's enduring hope is to give true meaning to the sacrifices of so many, to lead us to that new birth of freedom. With the end of the war and the end of slavery, a new birth truly begins. As we roll toward the 20th century, settlers roll west on wagon wheels and railroads connect the nation coast to coast. Millions of immigrants pour in from Europe and Asia. Population doubles. Our economy triples. 
our standing among nations rises. We need presidents who can lead both at home and abroad. At the same time, a young Theodore Roosevelt is retreating from New York politics and personal tragedy. The death of his wife and his mother on the same day in the same house. In the Badlands of North Dakota, he rethinks his life and the life of his country. He returns stronger in body and spirit. His renewed energy is just what his country needs. American industry is booming, but social tensions are rising. A progressive movement is bubbling up, pushing for change, and change is needed in the working and living conditions in cities. The gap widens between rich and poor. The demand for change grows stronger. Teddy Roosevelt is on a night on a crusade. He speaks with force and vitality in clear terms that make colorful headlines at a time when mass market newspapers have become the new media. To define his foreign policy, he borrows a phrase from an African proverb, speak softly and carry a big stick. But his greatest accomplishments are made at home. He breaks up giant monopolies, protects workers' rights, and calls for a square deal for all Americans, rich and poor, capitalist and wage earner. And a square deal for every man and every woman in the United States. He calls on America to be as great as the natural grandeur of its lands.
the triumph. So spoke America in the year 1776. So speak Americans today. The world changes. The country changes. And yet, in one sense, what we need most from our presidents has never changed. A guiding vision that calls forth the best that America can be. Will outer space be developed for the benefit of all mankind? Or will it become another focus for the arms race? The choice is urgent, and it is ours to make it. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. But really, it's all of us who must overcome the crippling legacy of bigotry and injustice. And we shall overcome. One of the agreements that President Sadat and Prime Minister Begin are signing tonight is entitled A Framework for Peace in the Middle East. Mr. Gorbachev, Tear down this wall. You have lost too much, but you have certainly not lost America.
Woodrow Wilson. Warren G. Harding. Calvin Coolidge. Herbert Hoover. Franklin D. Roosevelt. Harry S. Truman. Dwight D. Eisenhower. John F. Kennedy. Lyndon B. Johnson. Richard M. Nixon. Gerald R. Ford. Jimmy Carter. Ronald Reagan. George Bush. Bill Clinton. George W. Bush. Barack Obama. of my fellow citizens that I took an oath. 35 simple words that have been repeated by every American president throughout history. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States and I will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help me God. The presidency of the United States is a role unique in the world, an office entrusted to each president by us, we the people. Therein lies the genius of that new idea, now over 200 years old. A new idea our presidents have turned into a great American idea again and again. Inspiration is at the heart <laughs> of all creation, right at the start of everything that's new. One little spark lights up for you. For my one little spark segment today, I thought I'd keep on the theme of presidents and presidential elections. And I found this video that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger had made, and he talks about January 6th and what happened on January 6th. And I thought it was kind of intriguing, and I thought I'd play the audio for you here. 
Uh, take a listen to what he has to say as an immigrant and someone who was born shortly after World War II about the big lie. As an immigrant to this country, I would like to say a few words to my fellow Americans and to our friends around the world about the events of recent days. Now, I grew up in Austria. I'm very aware of Kristallnacht, or the night of broken glass. It was a night of rampage against the Jews carried out in 1938 by the Nazi equivalent of the Proud Boys. Wednesday was the day of broken glass right here in the United States. The broken glass was in the windows of the United States Capitol. But the mob did not just shatter the windows of the Capitol. They shattered the ideals we took for granted. They did not just break down the doors of the building that housed the American democracy. They trampled the very principles on which our country was founded. Now, I grew up in the ruins of a country that suffered the loss of its democracy. I was born in 1947, two years after the Second World War. Growing up, I was surrounded by broken men drinking away their guilt over their participation in the most evil regime in history. Not all of them were rabid anti-Semites or Nazis. Many just went along, step by step, down the road. They were the people next door. Now, I've never shared this so publicly because it is a painful memory. But my father would come home drunk once or twice a week, and he would scream and hit us and scare my mother. I did not hold him totally responsible because our neighbor was doing the same thing to his family, and so was the next neighbor over. I heard it with my own ears and saw it with my own eyes. They were in physical pain from the shrapnel in their bodies and in emotional pain from what they saw or did. It all started with lies and lies and lies and intolerance. So being from Europe, I've seen firsthand how things can spin out of control. I know there is a fear in this country and all over the world that something like this could happen right here. Now, I do not believe it is, but I do believe that we must be aware of the dire consequences of selfishness and cynicism. President Trump sought to overturn the results of an election and of a fair election. He sought a coup by misleading people with lies. My father and our neighbors were misled also with lies. And I know where such lies lead. President Trump is a failed leader. He will go down in history as the worst president ever. The good thing is that he soon will be as irrelevant as an old tweet. But what are we to make of those elected officials who have enabled his lies and his treachery? I will remind them of what Teddy Roosevelt said. Patriotism means to stand by the country. It does not mean to stand by the president. Now John F. Kennedy wrote a book called Profiles in Courage. A number of members of my own party, because of their own spinelessness, will never see their names in such a book, I guarantee you. They are complicit with those who carried the flag of self-righteous insurrection into the capital. But it did not work. Our democracy held firm. Within hours, the Senate and the House of Representatives were doing the people's business and certifying the election of President-elect Biden. What a great display of democracy. 
Now, I grew up Catholic. I went to church, to Catholic school. I learned the Bible and my catechism and all of this. And from those days, I remember a phrase that is relevant today, a servant's heart. It means serving something larger than yourself. See, what we need right now from our elected representatives is a public servant's heart. We need public servants that serve something larger than their own power or their own party. We need public servants who will serve higher ideals, the ideals in which this country was founded, the ideals that other countries took up to. Now, over the past few days, friends from all over the world have been calling and calling and calling me, calling me in distraught and worried about us as a nation. One woman was in tears about America, wonderful tears of idealism about what America should be. Those tears should remind us of what America means to the world. Now I've told everyone who has called that as heartbreaking as all of this is, America will come back from these dark days and shine our lights once again. Now you see this sword? This is the Conan sword. Now here's the thing about swords. The more you temper a sword, the stronger it becomes. The more you pound it with a hammer and then heat it in the fire and then thrust it into the cold water and then pound it again and plunge it into the fire and into the water, the more often you do that, the stronger it becomes. I'm not telling you all this because I want to become an expert sword maker, but our democracy is like the steel of this sword. The more it is tampered, the stronger it becomes. Our democracy has been tempered by wars, injustices, and insurrections. I believe, as shaken as we are by the events of recent days, we will come out stronger because we now understand what can be lost. We need reforms, of course, so that this never ever happens again. We need to hold accountable the people that brought us to this unforgivable point. And we need to look past ourselves, our parties and disagreements and put our democracy first. And we need to heal together from the drama of what has just happened. We need to heal, not as Republicans or as Democrats, but as Americans. Now to begin this process, no matter what your political affiliation is, I ask you to join me in saying to President-elect Biden, President-elect Biden, we wish you great success as our president. If you succeed, our nation succeeds. We support you with all our hearts as you seek to bring us together. And to those who think they can overturn the United States Constitution know this, you will never win. President-elect Biden, we stand with you today, tomorrow, and forever in defense of our democracy from those who would threaten it. May God bless all of you, and may God bless America. And that is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. 
We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 